of Galatians. This is the second uh, sermon on our new series as we go through the book of Galatians. Remember, we looked at the introduction, um, what is oftentimes last week we we looked at these first five verses where usually it's Paul wishing grace and peace as he does here. Uh, and when we come to the next section, in all of the other of his books, all of the other of his letters that he wrote, he begins, we would expect, verse 6, with him thanking God for the people, heaping up praise and, and uh, on the people and uh, expressing his love for them. But when we come to verse 6 in the book of Galatians, we, need, we see no such... Um, introduction, but rather we we see his astonishment. Galatians chapter one, verses six through ten. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. That there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, we see a stern tone in Paul's writing. We see his astonishment that the Galatians were so quickly turning away from the gospel. God, I pray that you would use your word and the preaching of your word to make our hearts steadfast, firm, immovable in the gospel of grace, in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see from our forebears throughout Israelite history, even throughout New Testament history, even through our own history, that our hearts are likely to to wander and to stray away from you. Father, I pray that you would make us firm, immovable, steadfast in the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Even as I say that we are... Um, that our hearts stray easily. So just in the last couple of weeks, I've heard of an evangelical church in our community that is teaching that there are many ways to God. They're using this old argument that there's many paths up the mountain, that, that all the paths, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, on and on, that, well, they're just different paths up to the same place. They all lead ultimately to God. Surprise me that this church, surprise me that this particular church would have this uh, be taught uh, in their church. Now, I haven't spoken with the pastor of this church yet, 
Um, I don't really know him well, but I, I, the more I've looked at this passage over this past week, the more constrained I feel to give him a call and see if he knows what's going on and what's being taught and what is being sanctioned uh, by the church. Uh, in fact, I would name the name of the church uh, if, if I had spoken with him and he affirmed that they do indeed believe that there are many ways to God. I, I would name it simply because they're teaching a false gospel and I would want to warn um, my friends who go there. Now before I explain why this view of many paths to the same God is so wrong and so worthy of being denounced as a false gospel, I have one other comment. And that comment is that the Bible is rarely recognized as the authoritative word of God in American churches. Uh, I think it's illustrated by this particular congregation. This church apparently is not very concerned about the outcry uh, that would come by preaching a false gospel. Uh, I don't think they're really worried about a significant disturbance within the church. And as I think about that, I just I don't have a category for that. If I were sitting in the congregation studying the Bible studies that uh, the church has put out for the congregation to study, and I were reading this, um, I, I, I don't know how I'd be able to sit still. And I've been wondering, why would they teach this? Why would they send this teaching out um, through their small groups? And how can they reasonably expect that there won't be an outcry when they're teaching this? And the conclusion I've come to is that if this indeed is sanctioned, well, I know it was sanctioned by the church, but if it is indeed um, what they're wanting to have the people believe, then the Bible is not the final authority for the leadership in that congregation. And if the congregation's not going to scream out against it, then the Bible's not the final authority for the people in that congregation as well. It is not simply enough to read the Bible. The Bible must be your final authority. It must be your ultimate authority. The Bible is the true word of the living God. It must be our final, our ultimate authority in all things relating to faith and to life. So why is this idea of many paths leading up to God? Why is this idea of Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam being basically another, uh, other ways of, of, of reaching up to God? Why, why is that so wrong? Why is it so worthy of being denounced as a false gospel? Well, the reason is there is no other gospel than the true gospel. And you've got an outline on the back of your bulletin uh, if you want to, to use that as an aid uh, as we go through this sermon. There is no other gospel other than the true gospel. Scripture is clear. Listen to John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, in speaking... Um, 
He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to God but through Jesus. Jesus is, an ex- is, is proclaiming an exclusivity. He is the only way. It's not through Buddha. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through a Pope. It's not through Mary. It's not through angels. It's not through good works. It's only through Jesus. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, there is, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ. Well, what is a mediator? A mediator is a go-between. We can almost think of him as a bridge between us and God. And the only bridge, the only mediator is Jesus Christ. Karma cannot mediate between you and God. Good intentions cannot mediate between you and God. Religious upbringing cannot mediate between you and God. Church membership cannot mediate between you and God. Or look at Acts chapter 4 verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no name, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You deny scripture if you say that there are many paths to God other than Jesus Christ. This passage is clear. All three of these passages are clear. The scriptures are clear. They are undeniable. They are unequivocal. So I return to the question I've been asking myself all this week. How can there not be an outcry when the church is teaching that there are many ways to God? I want to drive this point home by uh, looking at uh, point B under this first point. There is no other possibility of salvation other than the gospel. Listen to the Apostle Paul in verses 8 and 9 in our text. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. There is no other possibility of salvation other than the gospel. Look at verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. This phrase, called you in the grace of Christ, says that we are saved by the grace of Christ. God does not give out his grace without respect to Christ. I want to give you a contrast between God's mercy and God's grace. God is merciful, and His mercy flows from His goodness. God is good. Uh, He delights to give good things to His creatures. He gives life 
to his creatures. He gives happiness to his creatures. He gives life's necessities to his creatures. Remember Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 5, he, he calls us the rain to fall in the fields of the just and the unjust. He even gives good things that are not necessary for life to his creatures. He is good. He delights in displaying his goodness. He's also, because he's good, he's patient, patient towards people in general, or the Bible calls it sometimes long-suffering. He puts up with a lot of our rebellion and our self-centered stupidity. Uh, he doesn't treat us as our, as our sins deserve here in this life. In fact, I don't think, well, I know that none of us would have made it past the terrible twos if God treated us as our sins deserve. I can, on personal testimony, I can tell you none of my children would have made it past the terrible twos. To listen to my mother-in-law, my wife wouldn't have made it past the terrible twos. <laughs> and neither would I, and neither would you. Grace is different than mercy. Grace is costly. Grace is God giving us His righteousness, even though we are unrighteous. Grace is God giving complete pardon of sin to sinners. And Christ purchased this grace. He purchased this grace that God gives to us by His death and His resurrection on the cross. Jesus alone purchased forgiveness of sins. Jesus alone purchased our righteousness. Jesus alone purchased our justification. And it is impossible for you to help Him. It is by grace alone. God takes this forgiveness of sins. He takes this righteousness, this justification that Jesus purchased by His death on the cross. And He gives it to us without cost. It's a free gift, even though it costs God so much. It's a free gift to us. We don't deserve it. It is impossible for us to earn it. So then the question becomes, well, how can I have this free gift? Well, it's simple. Since you can't earn it, since you don't deserve it, all you can do is receive it by faith alone. Trusting that He alone was able to purchase this forgiveness of sins, to purchase this righteousness, to purchase this justification, and cling to Him. Because as you cling to Him, He gives you these things free of cost, even though it costs God so much. And that is the most wonderful, the most joyful, the most important information that you can have here in this life. In fact, it makes the next point so surprising that there are so many counterfeit Gospels. Again, look at verse 6. Paul's astonished. He's astonished when the Gospel is so wonderful that the Galatians would be so quickly deserting him, deserting Christ and turning to a different Gospel. 
all counterfeit gospels are simply a distortion of the true gospel. That's what he says here in uh, verse 7. He says uh, there's some people who are troubling you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. All counterfeit gospels are simply a distortion of the true gospel. I think there's two reasons for this. First of all, Satan cannot create. He can only corrupt. He's a counterfeiter, not an innovator. He's a knockoff artist. And he takes the gospel and he remakes it. He distorts it. That's why all false gospels seem vaguely familiar to the true gospel. He's a knockoff artist. It's a cheap imitation. And Satan's also a deceiver. I think he intentionally makes the false gospels to be intentionally similar to the true gospel because then it makes it easier for him to deceive um, people with these false gospels. Also, all counterfeit gospels emphasize salvation by works righteousness. You know, there are no other religions that uh, have a grace concept as I I have previously uh, in the sermon uh, described grace. Um, Rather, the false gospels set it up generally like this, a cooperation between God and man. And what it does is it brings God down a little bit and it lifts up man and they kind of meet here in the middle. Man does his part. God comes down and meets him halfway and you earn God's favor by doing enough to tip the scales of God's justice in your favor to make him to be pleased with you. Uh, the big question is, How much good is enough good to tip the scales in your favor? That's why also all the false gospels uh, rarely can give assurance because they're works-based at their heart and therefore they can't really give enough, can't give real true assurance. Because we have communion, I'm going to skip point C, the idea that all counterfeit gospels are at their heart man-centered. I think that speaks for itself. Um, Move on to point D. The most dangerous counterfeit gospels are inside the church. And uh, I could have listed, I could have probably had a whole series on the counterfeit Gospels uh, and and spent several weeks on this, but I'm just going to go over a few. There is the liberal Gospel. The liberal Gospel, uh, you may be surprised, emphasizes the kingship of Jesus Christ. And what they are doing is they are, by emphasizing the kingship of Jesus Christ, well, Jesus Christ is, is the universal king, uh, therefore, uh, his teachings must be accepted by everyone. But in the liberal church, the uh, concerns of Jesus coincide with a godless social agenda so that um, promotion of abortion uh, and gay marriage and things like that are high on the agenda. And salvation becomes, instead of salvation from sin, it becomes self-fulfillment, self-realization, and preaching is turned into psychotherapy. Philip Ryken also, uh, a PCA pastor up in, up in Philadelphia, 
with several evangelical distortions of the gospel. He lists the gospel of material prosperity. Jesus is the way to financial gain. The gospel of family values. Jesus is the way to a happy home. The gospel of self. Jesus is the way to personal fulfillment. The the gospel of religious tradition. Jesus is the way to respectability. The gospel of morality. Jesus is the way to be a good person. And Reichen says that all of these have such a following because they address deep human needs. And there's an element of goodness in all of them. Who doesn't want to be prosperous? Who doesn't want to have a happy home? Who doesn't want to have uh, to be well-behaved and to have well-behaved children? But if that is what is the driving force... That is not the gospel. Reichen says, when they come for us a sort of gospel, then we are in danger of turning away from the only gospel that there is. Now, I know we have some Joel Osteen uh, fans here in the congregation. I want to urge you, listen to him closely. I think you'll find that he preaches something something other than the true gospel. Because he preaches these um, these things of family values, prosperity, self fulfillment, and puts Jesus way into the background. In conclusion, I want to ask you: What will it cost you to believe? the one true gospel. Look at verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not become, or I would not be a servant of Christ. What will it cost you to believe the one true gospel? Paul says it will cost you the approval of people. He says, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? Here's what's happening. This is the reason why Paul is is mentioning this. He was accused of being a people pleaser. When he was with the Jews, he acted like a Jew. In fact, Paul had Timothy circumcised, and he had him circumcised in Galatia. But the... The, the Judaizing crowd were saying that he, he did it to keep the Jews happy. If you read the, the account, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, he did it rather to give Timothy a more, um, a, a more of an open door amongst the Jews. And so uh, he had Timothy circumcised. But then the Judaizers were saying, but when he's preaching to the Gentiles, he preached that they did not need to get circumcised. In fact, in Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, but even Titus, who was with me, and Titus was one of his disciples. Timothy and Titus were Paul's disciples. He was mentoring them as they were preparing for the gospel ministry. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So what they're saying is that, Paul, you are inconsistent. 
and we could talk at great length about this, and we will do so in future sermons. I'm going to uh, say that my wife always tells me you don't have to tell everybody everything in every sermon that you get the pulpit every week, so I'm going to resist in addressing this issue. Uh, it will come up most certainly in chapter 2. But he circumcised Timothy. He did not circumcise uh, Titus. What's going on? Is Paul being inconsistent? On the face of it, you could say yes. But what Paul is doing is he is really being consistent with the gospel. And what others thought about him did not matter. And so it cost him the approval of men. For you to believe the gospel is also going to cost you your own ambition. Because you, after all, are human beings. He says uh, here, Am I trying to please man? The point I'm making here is that Christianity and the gospel is being turned into a consumer choice. Uh, to please people. And people are saying, I'll follow Christ as long as I get to do what I want. As long as not too much is asked of me. This is what we call selective obedience. I'll follow Christ as long as I can continue to have premarital uh, sexual relationships. I'll follow Christ as long as I get to live where I want to. I'll follow Christ as if, if, if. And we put these conditions and we put we say, God, hands off of my desires, hands off of my ideas of happiness. The gospel, if you were going to believe it, it's not about pleasing yourself. It's not about pleasing other people. It's about seeking the approval of God rather than man. Uh, verse 10 again. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The gospel is not about seeking man's approval, not about seeking your own happiness. It's about seeking the approval of God. But here's the good news. The gospel does not tell us what we have to do to appease God. The gospel tells us that in Jesus Christ, and if we are in Jesus Christ, that he is pleased with us already because he views us through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. In other words, you are approved not because you've done the right things. You're approved because Jesus is perfect and he stood in your place and he paid the price that you could never have paid. He is the Son of God and if you are in him, you are approved simply because of Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come to you this morning, we thank you again for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this gospel that is so confounding to the wise of this world, to the scholars of this world, 
that uh, it has become to them foolishness. But for us, and only because you have opened our eyes, our ears, and our heart to the gospel, it has become for us the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God. It has become for us our way to God. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. As we enter into the communion service this morning, Father, I ask that you would be here, that you would sanctify the elements of the meal, and that you would sanctify our hearts to you, consecrate us to you as we fellowship with you and with each other. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen.